Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're discussing creepy books that get us into the Halloween spirit. So we are recording yes. this about a week before Halloween. Uh, and you love Halloween, don't you, Anne? I love it so much. I love it so much. Like, it's just so much fun. <laughs> There's so fun many than people. Christmas. Oh, I disagree wholeheartedly, but there are a lot of people that feel that way about Halloween. People love, I think people love fall, people love Halloween. Yeah, yeah I, I I, get that. I do get that. And I feel sad that this year Halloween is going to be a little bit different, yeah. especially for kids. But uh, but it's fun to get into that sort of spooky, spooky spirit, that feeling of of Halloween. Yeah, like the, the, the um, delicious sort of um chills mm-hmm. feeling that you get both from reading something spooky or, or watching whatever and also just being outside in the crisp air it, yeah. it matches perfectly together so yeah so i think that we picked creepy reads as opposed to because we usually do a halloween episode of right. some sort but right. but we did creepy reads this time because it's kind of encompassing a wider swath of experiences because you don't like most horror you've you've come around to it a lot recently but you're not you know all in Right. Horror. So I like uh, the horror that definitely skirts right up to psychological suspense mm-hmm. uh, and the horror that is more gory. I don't enjoy very much. Right. And what I realized as we were starting to look at the books that we were going to talk about or at this topic, not as I was trying to select books, that a lot of the horror that I've really liked, I've already talked about on the podcast right. because <laughs> they have stood out to me as books yeah. that were surprisingly enjoyable for me. We broadened it a little bit to say creepy, unsettling books versus true scary books, which to me sometimes, it's funny, the gory stuff, it's not even that I get scared by it. I just don't enjoy reading it. So to me, like when you talk about like the delicious sort of chills of whatever you're reading going or watching going along with the air, I feel more tension and suspense from some of the thrillers or things like left kind of unsaid or unknown that right. are spooky than the clearly described creepy gory things like monster right. supernatural things so uh, so to me it's not even that i mean yes i'm a scaredy cat but it's more <laughs> about i just i almost skip over the gross sections so then it doesn't scare me because i mm-hmm. i don't want to read those sections so that it takes away any a lot of kind of the tension there so right but yeah I like a lot of more unsettling creepy I mean one of my favorites that I've, I would have talked about for this episode had I not already talked about it was The Silent Companions by Laura right. Purcell which is so creepy and yeah. not not outright scary I wouldn't say at all it's just it's creepy it's just like this weird ugh, like yeah. strange doll story well and to me that that would count as scary, I guess. I don't know how I would classify that because it's definitely like one of the books I I talking about. I um was writing up my stuff last night about it and and started to get really creeped out and mm-hmm. so and I had to go change into a, a like move into a different room because I was uh, aware that there was a door that was just a little bit ajar where a Japanese ghost could be staring at me and <laughs> I, I couldn't have that so um so I moved to a different place and so. So that does scare me, but it's f- fun scary. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the difference because I also don't enjoy like body horror or really gory things. And mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely not an expert on the horror genre, I would, I would say. But I know that there's a pretty big range between um, like supernatural thrills and, and things that horrify you. Like, right. like we use right. that word kind of all-encompassing horror, but it's really sort of two different things that get right. lumped together so right. um but yeah I'm, I'm like you i'm i i did um i did look on my goodreads and i have 50 books that are marked tone creepy in the a novelist kind of way <laughs> and then two that are marked tone scary so that's oh, you can definitely see where my interests lie right they definitely um, so yeah so at novelist which is where i work just in case People aren't keeping, you know, an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of, of my they? life. How dare they not know this about me? But um, th- we we have in the past for horror talked about 
It's the uh, dread gore scale. It's right. Like, or a, I think it's a scale or a spectrum or something like that. And it's it's certain readers prefer the dread feeling. And it's right. very atmospheric and it's creepy. And then on the other end, it's more horrifying, gore, right. gross, kind of dark um, horror. So, yeah, I think that you can be a horror fan and fall in that range in lots of different places. Uh, so. I yeah. just tend to be very, very, very much on the dread end of things and not on the gore <laughs> end of things. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to just dive in and start talking yeah, about our books? Okay. That sounds good. Okay. So my first book is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And I will confess I have not finished this. Um, I was so excited to talk about this. Uh, I think the, at the one of our book previews for, for some season, mm-hmm. I can't remember. But then I decided instead of reading it right when it came out or before it came out, I wanted to save it for October. But um, as we didn't record last uh, our last episode, this, this October has been kind of insane for me. Mm-hmm. And so it just didn't happen. So um, I think I've read enough to talk about, but I'm not sure if I'll leave something out that's really important. So um, no one come in and correct me later. So um, this takes place in 1950 and uh, the main character's main character is named Noemi and she's a socialite in Mexico city and she's in her early twenties and she loves fashion and nightclubs and flirting, but she's kind of not your typical party girl too. She's, she definitely wants to have some purpose in life, but she doesn't really know what that is. And her family ends up teasing her a lot because she flits between these different interests. And so she's um, just a little bit flighty, but but definitely has a good head on her shoulders. And she's really clever and, and um, witty and, and can kind of spar with all the, the men that she's flirting with. So she doesn't really want to marry for money, but she just doesn't want to, she doesn't really know what her future holds. So she has a cousin named Catalina who has recently married a rich Englishman named Virgil Doyle and their family, the Doyle family owned a silver mine in a town called El Triunfo. Um, uh, they've, they've owned this for decades and they've lost all their money through various disasters and um, health ep- epidemics that have eradicated the the staff on their, um, on the mine. And so they're living in genteel poverty and, um, Virgil needs to marry Catalina for money. So right at the very beginning of the book, Noemi's father receives this letter from Catalina that indicates that there's something really strange going on with her. She's, she's talking really erratically and she's saying really upsetting things about her marriage, including, um, her belief that Virgil is trying to poison her. And so, her so Noemi's father contacts Virgil and um, is trying to figure out what to do and wants to have her come back to Mexico City to get treatment and Virgil won't allow that so instead uh, Noemi's father asks her to go visit and see what's going on so she gets to the house and it's just like ripped from the pages of of Wilkie Collins it's Mm -hmm. it's this English gothic house that's called High Place and um, the family is just really odd, too. It's nothing like she's ever experienced before. And so there's um, a, a pretty small family that's living there. There's the patriarch named Howard, and he's basically this walking corpse. And he's um, just falling apart as he as he's getting older. But he's also really slimy and, and um, kind of harassing Noemi a little bit um, as she gets to know the family. And then uh, Virgil has an aunt named Florence who acts as the housekeeper, but she she does it in a very Mrs. Danvers kind of way of just the, the stereotypical um, displeasure at everything that, that's happening in the house. But Noemi makes friends with uh, Virgil's cousin, Francis, and he's he kind of seems to be the only person that sees that this is sort of a, an unusual situation. So, um, so Noemi gets there and is just really struggling to adapt to the household because no one will speak during during meals and they use candles instead of electricity, even though this is 1950. But she's also upset that Catalina seems to be... Uh, kept medicated all the time and really isolated from everyone else. So so something isn't right. So she goes into town to consult with a doctor there and she finds out from um, the townspeople about a horrifying story of violence that has taken place at High Place. So then she starts to have these disturbing dreams like the, the house is coming alive at night and the Doyle family is preying on her and um, it's it's very creepy. It's, mm-hmm. it's all coming together into a, a really creepy um 
just just perfect gothic novels. So I like that it's really hitting all those classic notes of the of Victorian gothic novels that we know very well, but it's very clearly commenting on colonialism and the difference between uh, the Mexican population and these English um, families, these wealthy English families mm-hmm. that apparently came in during um, certain periods of Mexican history. And so High Place is so English that they even brought over English soil to build it on. So that I think is going to pan out into something that I will enjoy very much um, as it comments on race and um, colonialism, which I think is really interesting. So in in the middle of this, Noemi is just this sort of bright and colorful jolt in this very stereotypically gray English world. And she's really shaking things up and and forcing them sort of into modernity. And um, so far, it's it's really enjoyable. So that is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Yeah, I like that one a lot. It's super creepy, uh, but in a good a good way for me, <laughs> in okay. a way that I enjoy. Uh, all right, my first one is Unspeakable Things by Jess Laurie, and this is based on a true story from the author's hometown uh, from when she was growing up. And in the foreword, I don't remember exactly how she says it, but it's something like, until she was an adult, she didn't realize that everybody, when they were young, when they were kind of young tween teenager age weren't told to stay close to home and not be out in the dark because there were there was a person taking people uh so i know so it sets it up to be to be very um suspenseful right from the beginning so it's narrated by a 13 year old girl named cassie and it's set in the 80s and uh cassie lives kind of a tough life her father he drinks a lot and he's an artist and he has that temperament, that very um, volatile artistic temperament that you hear of sometimes with very creative people. And he seems to be uh, wrapped up in some sort of illegal activity, which because Cassie's only 13, she's not exactly she gives in her narration. She she gives enough clues that there's something going on, but she's not exactly sure what it might be. So Cassie and her sister are very scared of him, and he warns them that they can't share anything about their family to anybody or anything about their family secrets or else social workers might come and take the kids away. And so they just live kind of in fear of of him as a presence and then that specifically. Uh, And then she talks about how at night she and her sister will basically lock themselves in their rooms um, and they can hear him waiting at the bottom of the stairs and oh she describes gosh. like a clicking noise that he <gasps> he's doing. And so it's just such a sense of menace. And because she's 13, it it is, it amps up the tension quite a bit, I think, because she seems like she's innocent, but she clearly knows something. There's something bad that has happened to her, happened to her sister. And it's never explicitly stated pretty much. But at the same time, so she in her own personal life is dealing with the stuff that's quite difficult. And then at the same time, teenage boys are being taken by somebody. And then when they reappear, they act very, very different. Their personalities, they're, they're full of rage, basically. And so everyone in this small town is wondering who the culprit is and guessing who it might be. It seems like it's probably somebody local just because of the way these abductions are happening and the fact that the kids are then released and they're they're right they're still in this town. So they they're not being taken very far away. And people are especially suspicious of the band teacher because he is a gay man and it's the eighties. So being gay in the eighties was often um a point of speculation of, from people, I guess, right, or right. I don't know. They were people were suspicion. suspicious of it. Yeah, yeah, suspicious of it. So, um, but he's a really he's very kind to Cassie. She really, really likes him, and so she is convinced that he has nothing to do with it. She knows that he's just he's just is gay, and that's has nothing to do with taking teenage boys. Like they, these two things are not related. Um, right. So she kind of takes it on himself to try to figure out. Um, what's going on, especially because one of her friends is taken. And so then it it makes her really want to find out who is doing it and prove that the band teacher has not. So um, it's not a thriller in the traditional sense, I wouldn't say, because it doesn't have that sort of propulsive pace to it. It's more of a 
almost like a coming of age story, but it has this overarching sense of unease because of the abductions and because of Cassie's situation uh, with her family and her father that uh, it just pervades the story of this like unsettled feeling. Um, So when we were talking about unsettled books, this was the very first one that popped to my mind because I thought um, how it just, it was gripping. I, I think I read this maybe almost in one sitting. I vividly remember finishing it as Jeremy was cooking dinner one night and I was like, I, I want to help you cook dinner, but I also want to finish this book. Um, it, and it, it just grabbed me so much. And I found Cassie's voice to be just very compelling and and her as a character to be very compelling. So that is Unspeakable Things by Jess Laurie. Oh my gosh, that sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. Standing at the bottom of the stairs, making a clicking noise. I know. And it's never clear. No. Like, I, I think, I don't think it's ever clear what the click. Maybe, may, actually, maybe they do say what it is, but anyway. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's going to mess me up. Sorry. When I try to sleep. That's Sorry. Okay. I like it. Sorry. <laughs> it was, it, I have to say, the book is, it, it's not a scary book. It's an unsettling book. You yeah. Know, the, partially, I think, because it's her, a child's, narr- or I mean, teenager's narration. So yeah. it takes away some of that, I don't know, some of that true... Uh, what might, like what, like uh, what happens with room where it's, right, it's sort of filtered yes. a little bit yeah it's filtered right through her perspective so yeah it's it's scary but in a way that she kind of doesn't quite know what's happening or what's going on so yeah yeah that sounds good yeah okay what's okay that? um next is come closer by sarah gran and this I have read so many places. Um, after I read it, I kind of didn't realize it was so widely respected. But anytime I'm researching horror for work, this book is mentioned as a favorite book and, and an influence on other horror writers. So um, so I definitely encourage people to seek it out. Um, it's about an up-and-coming architect named Amanda who lives in New York with her husband, Edward. And they basically live the Instagram life that everyone covets Mm -hmm. um and so that includes like weekends at the flea market and going to trendy restaurants and just what you imagine your life would be like if you lived in new york but isn't really true for most people so um from the very beginning of the book things are off and they start out really small so the first thing that happens is that amanda submits this report at work and then her boss calls her in because it's full of of slurs and horrible language and she doesn't remember writing this and so she just kind of assumes that it must have been a prank that was played on her but she has no memory of how this could have happened so then um after that she starts to hear a tapping in the walls and then more things start to go wrong like she starts to fight with her husband a lot more often and she has these weird impulses to um commit small acts of theft and she used to be a smoker and hasn't done it in years and now she she suddenly has started up smoking again so it's kind of all the things that uh like her baser version of herself would think about doing but when you know as when we're kids and teenagers there are lots of things that we think about that when you become an adult that's that's sort of learning to curb those impulses and 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 until the point that they don't you know think about stealing things every time you go into a store you know but she's giving into all of these things so it's like reaching whatever whatever is happening is reaching some sort of more primal place inside of her so then after that she starts to have blackouts and she wakes up to find that she has really upset the people that are around her and she starts to have these dreams at night that she's on a red beach with this creepy woman with with sharp teeth and really wild hair who hugs her and won't let go and so this is all just very unsettling to her so she orders a random book online that has nothing to do with any of this, but instead she receives a book that's about about demonic possessions, and she studies it, and she finds a description of a demon from Jewish folklore named Nama, and Amanda recognizes her as this imaginary friend that she's had her entire life. So um, then the, the, the behavior starts to ratchet up a little bit, where she gets even more erratic, and she starts waking up in hotels with strange men, and she has... Uh, fantasies of of harming those who are around her and she even ends up burning her husband with a cigarette just just to do it because she can so edward of course is not responding well to this and he begins to pull away which exacerbates amanda's behavior and it all culminates in true horror in in the most horrible ways you can imagine so um 
I think it's kind of no surprise that I love this because it's really ambiguous throughout the book of what is actually going on. So you don't know if this is a demon or if it's mm -hmm. madness or if Amanda is making these decisions purposefully and she's fully aware of what she's doing. So um, I've talked about that before of how I really enjoy those kinds of books. And um, one of my favorite horror novels, uh, um, Paul Tremblay's A Head Full of Ghosts, also kind of has that same question of, is this real possession or is it not? And so, um, so this hits all those same notes for me, but it isn't, um, it isn't sticking with the surface creepy possession story. It's it's also trying to examine the things that women have to do to exist in the world and the sacrifices that they have to make and what that does to us psychologically. And so it's it's kind of um, not kind of deeply unsettling <laughs> to realize that some of the things that she does and some of her reactions and her decisions kind of sound reasonable at certain times and sound a little bit um, familiar and not the smartest things, but things that I understood why she's going that direction. And when I was, I was trying to, I read this a few years ago and I was trying to review the, the plot points on Goodreads and a lot of reviewers who are female made similar comments that they're kind of creeped out by how, much they related to Amanda. So it's definitely tapping into that element of female frustration and rage that's become um, more and more commonly discussed by women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very short. It's less than 200 pages. So oh, yeah. if you need, yeah, it's perfect. And so, so that's kind of what makes it so effective too, because it just starts off strong right from the beginning and it doesn't have any extraneous anything to mm -hmm. it. It just has to get right, right to it. So um, if you need something to read for Halloween, this would be um, really perfect Halloween afternoon reading and it will stick with you for a long time. Um, yeah, it's really, really great. I, I had a copy that someone gave me and then I gave it away. I just, you know, passed it on to someone mm -hmm. else because I really enjoyed it. And now I'm kind of bummed that I don't have it anymore. <laughs> so um, it's very, very, very creepy. That is Come Closer by Sarah Gran. That sounds perfect for Halloween because Halloween's on a Saturday, I think, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, next week. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, somebody, uh, you could just hang out on a Saturday afternoon and yeah. your short book that sounds it's not like we're doing other things it's 2020 <laughs> so sad all right so my next one and i i had a hard time deciding so uh so we've talked i think we've talked about this before ann and i keep an outline of what we're going to talk about each week to make sure that we don't duplicate what somebody else is going to talk about <laughs> and so when i was filling it i just put something by riley sager yeah. because i and it, i think it still says that actually because yeah. i knew i wanted to do pick a book by him but I wasn't sure which one I wanted to talk about because he writes a lot of books that are based in on classic uh horror tropes or specific movies like he did one oh shoot now I can't remember was it Rosemary's Baby maybe he did I don't remember anyway he he sort of um always bases his his books on some classic in either like mystery thriller horror that realm so I knew I wanted to do something so I decided to do The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager which it takes place at a summer camp which I feel like summer camps can kind of be inherently creepy which oh yeah it lends itself very well uh, to the creepiness of this book it is about a girl named Emma Davis and she attended summer camp at a place called Camp Nightingale when she was a teenager and uh, it was the first time she'd ever attended a sleepaway camp like that and three girls from her cabin who she was kind she was friends with but they were definitely uh kind of a tight group and she was trying to not trying to get in but you know she was the new the newbie and they had been an established group of friends I guess and these three girls vanished in the middle of the night and were never to be seen or heard from again and so 15 years later uh the camp owner reaches out to Emma and is reopening the camp and has invited her back to teach art classes to the campers and so Emma does not hesitate uh, for a second to go because she thinks that this will be a chance to answer all these unanswered questions that she has in her head about what happened that night. This will give her an opportunity to kind of investigate while she's in the thick of things versus being on the outside. So she goes and um, it's, it's creepy to be in a summer. I don't know. There's just like a lot of summer campness that can be kind of, because summer camps can kind of be a little cultish anyway yeah. uh, with the way they, they're, I mean, not, I'm, I'm joking. They're not really a cult. But, you know, they just um, really 
support the idea of unity and yeah. they, they're like and chants that everybody does. And, yeah. yeah. And so, um, but so there's part of what makes this, this particular camp creepy is that there's a sense that maybe something supernatural is happening, but the reader, as the reader, you don't really know if it's truly something supernatural or if it's all in Emma's head or if it's all because maybe she had something maybe to do with it back at the time. So it's all these questions um, and it's very atmospheric. And I don't know, it's just something about um, the way that these these girls just vanish without a trace seems so odd because it's it's a remote location. It's a summer camp. So you don't have a town nearby or anything where you could easily disappear. Like there are just woods around it. Um, and so it's very suspenseful. And um, like I said, actually, I think you could if if you tend towards my taste in reading, I think that any of Riley Sager's books would be good ones. There was another one that was like a haunted house story, which I didn't go with because I knew you were doing Mexican Gothic. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's another one that's super. It just came out. It's called Home Before Dark, I believe. It just mm-hmm. came out not too long ago. Um, but I think any of his books, they're they're super quick reads. They're very suspenseful and fun, but not too scary in any way. And so they're just kind of an enjoyable an enjoyable thriller kind of thing. Uh, So that one is called The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. Did you go to girls? Did you go to camp when you were? I did. I did. And it was scary? No, it wasn't scary then. But now I think about it. Like, I (laughs) feel like. No, it was. I loved it when I went. Yeah, for sure. But I think. No, I think that there's something about like the woods at night. And you think about being like misty over a lake. And they're like noises from nature that you don't know what it is. And I think that's why I think it's creepy. No, when I went to camp, I didn't think it was creepy at all. Well, I, I went to camp too, but it was just for a week or five days and it was through church and so it was it but there was that like requisite creepy element to it and at the time we knew that like we there was a camp ghost story called right, the, right. the white lady and and like that was just that was part of the experience is is in the daytime it's all fun and at nighttime it's all fun but you also have to walk back to your cabin after you've been at right. the, the bonfire and right. and like enjoying that thrill of it was yeah. was really yeah. key to that experience so yeah just um, there's something about that that lends itself very, very well to uh, a scary, unsettling, creepy novel. Yeah. I have think. you ever have you ever heard of a movie called Sleepaway Camp? No. <laughs> I'm gonna let you look up that one on your own. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know that I should recommend that movie to anyone. <laughs> All right. <sighs> okay. So uh, last is me and uh, I'm going to talk about The Girl from the Well by Rin Chapeco and this is the one that scared me that I had to go into a different room because it's based on a a Japanese ghost story which is the same story that The Ring the movie and book are based on so that movie is so scary to me but so fun scary but so scary I could never watch that on my own Um, and last night um, I I have said this several times that I, I look up the books that I've read before on Goodreads to sort of remind myself because I actually have a really terrible memory for um, how books end (laughs) every time I read them. So I kind of have to help myself out a little bit. So on Goodreads, a lot of the reviews, because this is a YA book, those reviewers tend to put a lot of gifts on their reviews. And so they kept putting gifts from The Ring and The Grudge, and I just kept getting so scared. (laughs) And so when I saw that I had like a door that had a crack that I couldn't see past and I, I just I had to move to a different room it was too scary for me so so that was fun um, so this book is co- is about a, a ghost named Okiko and she was murdered 300 years ago and thrown down a well after she was betrayed by someone she trusted and so she has spent those 300 years haunting and killing anyone who was responsible for harming children and the, the very opening scene of of the book is uh her taking out her vengeance on someone for for something they've done and it is just so creepy it's such a strong start to a book so she um once she's done killing that person she observes a teenage boy named tark who is moving into a house in the neighborhood and he has a dark energy surrounding him and he is moving into this house with his father because he always has kind of strange things happen around him and they've had to move several times to sort of 
um, escape different situations that he he can't return to because of of this energy and he also has these strange tattoos all over all over his arms that he's always trying to hide and, and wearing long-sleeved things and and making sure that they don't peek out from um underneath the the cuff of his shirt so while she's uh observing him okiko also sees a man watching tark and he just looks like a normal man, but Okiko can see that there are many children on his back and he he's a very dangerous man and he's responsible for a lot of suffering. So um, they also uh, move to be close to Tark's mom, who is in a mental in- institution after she attacked him. And so he goes to visit for the first time in a really long time and he sees that she's filled the entire room with these um, ritualistic Japanese dolls and she's happy at first to see him but then she starts to get upset and starts to scream at him and and it's just a very intense scene with with the dolls and her her uh, reaction to him so besides his dad he's also sort of protected by an older cousin named Callie who works at the school that he goes to and she sort of starts to see some of the odd things that are happening when Tark is around and one of those things is is that she glimpses this terrifying ghost woman who is um not able to physically harm Tark, but she can see that he's just very, or that the ghost is very aggressive toward him. So she's just very down to earth and sweet, and she really wants to help Tark. And so she's just okay to take this on. She doesn't really think too much about it, and they become this team. And I can't remember how at some point um, they they become aware of Okiko. I don't remember how that happens now, but all three of them end up going to Japan where Tark's mother is from to try to understand what happened to her and how she's um, had her mental state deteriorate so much and also to find out what's happening to Tark. So it's full of all kinds of very, very creepy scenes. And even though it's YA, it is pretty dark because it, you know, has this child murder element to it, but it's, it's not gory at all. It's just disturbing and unsettling. I will say that it's um, written with those kinds of uh, like text breaks that that sort of have an interjected um, line every now and then. So I think that this might be better read versus an audiobook. I actually started it as a book and then had to return it and finished it out on audio. But those um, lines are are there to show how Okiko thinks, and she has this obsession with counting, which is part of her ghost story and the the folklore behind it. And that sort of breaks into the action of the book whenever she senses that there's something to be counted. Then she has these these um, interjected lines that that are very unsettling to read. So it's creepy. You'll be creeped out. It's yeah, called, that's, uh, oh, it's oh, the girl uh, from the well by Rin Chapico. Yeah, so I was gonna say I like the idea of reading a YA horror novel. I don't know that I, I think, I think maybe I've read one because I feel like it would never get too gruesome, even if it did veer into. I don't know that I agree with that. No. I read, um, what's the name of it? It's the Stephanie Perkins book. Oh yeah. Um, I never read that there's, one. There's someone there's in some, the house uh, or somebody in the house, yeah. you, but you know which one I mean. Yeah. And it was yeah. very, very graphic. Like, like that's a that's a slasher kind of thing and so um i try to kind of stay away from slashers for the most part because i i just don't handle violence very well but i was really surprised at how how descriptive it was of mm. the murder the the actual like murder process <laughs> so Ooh. um all right so well, yeah i've, I've been then. kind of surprised by that so i don't yeah. know that i would i would necessarily go by that but definitely it's probably less than this the equivalent story in an adult text so yeah, I think you could handle this one though. It's more, it's more creepy. Yeah, that's, it seems like something I could, I could maybe deal with. Yeah. All right. So my last one is the Sundown Motel by Simone St. James, and I think I've talked about the Broken Girls before, which I really, really yes. liked. Yeah. It's uh, a great book. And it was very creepy. Did you read that one? I did. Yep. Yeah. I tried to read this one too, and I thought I had it, and I started it. I was, I'm like, oh, it's Sunday afternoon. I have, the, I have to read this for a book club tomorrow. I better get started. And it turned out I didn't have it. Oh, it was such a letdown. That is a letdown. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, you should read this one for sure. And if any of our listeners have not read The Broken Girls, they should read that one as well. So um, I'm just realizing as I'm about to talk that this book also has a storyline set in the 80s, which I did not plan to have two books with storylines <laughs> set in the 80s. But anyway. All right. So it, um, 
35 years before the start of the book, the main character's aunt vanished while working the night shift at a really seedy kind of rundown motel. Uh, She had gotten a job there because she was trying to get out of her hometown, I think, I want to say Ohio, but I feel like I always think it's Ohio because that's where I grew up. (laughs) And it's the most American of all the states. Yeah. So I don't know actually where she was from, but she was trying to move to New York and had left home with with very little. So she ended up in this small town in, um, I actually think it it takes place in New York, but she wants to go to Manhattan. And so she's trying to make money. So she gets the grave, she takes the graveyard shift at this motel and then just vanishes so carly is the main character and so in the current timeline i actually think it takes place in about 2017 or 2018 she decides she's going to go look into her aunt's disappearance and her life circumstances are such that she has an opportunity to sort of walk away from her life for a little while so she decides she's going to go and search for her in new york and so she goes to this small town and starts asking around and of course she goes to the motel where she was working and as it turns out there is a job opening for the overnight shift at the motel and so carly <laughs> decides she's going to take it and that'll help support her give her some money and also expose her to the same sorts of things that her aunt was being exposed to when she was there uh, all those years ago And so um, as she starts looking into it, she realizes that there were actually other girls that also went missing before her and it has never, their cases were never solved. They were never really looked into that much. So Carly feels like there's something here. There's something going on here. What, you know, why, why are all these young girls, uh, young women going missing and nobody's really ever cared or found them? So the story switches back and forth between the 1980s when Carly's aunt was in this uh, small town and then 2017 when Carly is investigating. And um, I love that. I think everybody, if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, you know I love those kinds of stories that switches Mm -hmm. back and forth between the two timelines. And the tension just gets thicker and thicker and thicker on both storylines, which I think is really hard to do a lot of the time. I think that usually... I feel like one of the storylines is a bit more engaging or interesting than the other one. Um, But in this case, I think that they're both done really well because as Carly is there, strange things are happening at the hotel. And again, there's kind of like a ghostly haunting feeling and you're wondering if it's if it is supernatural, if it's not. I don't think I read this a little while ago. I don't think you ever think it's in just in Carly's head, but you wonder if there's maybe a person behind it versus oh. versus a ghost. And sort of like summer camp, motels in the middle of the night, especially rundown motels, are super creepy just super on their creepy. own. So um, this was, I loved this book. I thought it was really great. It's so suspenseful. But again, without being scary, it's not going to give you, I don't think it's going to give anybody nightmares or anything or, or worry about somebody in the closet or anything like it's just it's deliciously deliciously suspenseful so that is the sundown motel by simone st james oh i can't wait to read that oh well now you'll have to track down a copy yeah i'll find it i mean did you end up going to your book club uh no i didn't i didn't have anything to say oh sad yeah (laughs) all right well we'll be right back with what we're reading this week All right. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Uh, This week I'm reading The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. Um, I think I'm the last person in the world to read this. I think you might be, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you've read it. You've read the whole series or just this one? Just the first one. Just the first one. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those books. It's even like a a book for book lovers kind Mm -hmm. of book. And I just never got to it. So I'm, I'm fixing that now for a book club. Thank you, book clubs. Um, so this is about a young boy, or it starts out with a young boy named Danielle, and he lives in Barcelona. Um, no, Hallie, I am not going to do the Spanish lisp on any of these names. <laughs> so don't don't be thinking anything. <laughs> one of my one of my good friends, I think I've told you about her before. She's a, a Spanish linguistics professor, and mm-hmm. one of my favorite jokes with her is a line from Anchorman where I say, "You know, I don't speak Spanish," <laughs> and it comes up so often because of her career. So <laughs> it's a good good one for this situation. So um, so Danielle lives in Barcelona with his father, who is an antiquarian bookseller, and it's 1945. 
just after uh, the end of World War II. And Danielle's mother has died. And I can't remember how recently it was that she died, but he wakes up on his 11th birthday and he realizes that he can't remember her face. And that's just really, really deeply upsetting to him. So his father, um, in order to console him, takes him to a, a place called the Cemetery of Lost Books, which is a secret library known to the city's booksellers and other literary figures in Barcelona. And um, it's a place where books can stay until they're, um, they need to be found again, basically. They're, they're protected from fading away in, in the world. Um, so just anything kind of obscure. And, and um, so he's allowed to pick one book and he randomly selects a book called The Shadow of the Wind by Julian Carax. And the author he sees is from Barcelona, but no one has really heard of him or knows very much about him. And he just falls in love with this book. He, he kind of becomes obsessed with it. And he start, he tries to seek out other books by the author. And so he confronts his father, or confronts, consults his father's colleague, Gustavo Barceló, who is uh, who knows about Carax, but he says that the books are extremely rare and valuable because they've been disappearing for years and no one really knows why. They don't know um, how that's happening and no one knows any personal information about the author. So um, Barcelo is very interested in this book and he offers to buy it from from Danielle, but he declines. But he, um, he does become friends with Barcelo and he allows him he he says you can i won't sell you this book but you can examine it so uh, he ends up going to barcelo's house and he meets his blind adult uh, niece clara and daniel is just completely uh, infatuated with her and becomes obsessed with her and so he goes to visit her daily to read out loud to her Um, and their relationship causes friction between her family and his father there they they all feel that his devotion to her is really inappropriate for someone his age so this goes on for several years and when he turns 16 he's he's even more immersed in this world of books and he's helping his father in the shop and but he's also pretty surly to his father because of his love for clara and the the friction that's caused between them and so on his 16th birthday he invites her and others in their circle to a birthday party but they don't show up and so danielle is is uh just you know typical 16 year old behavior he he's very rude to his father and he leaves the house and he goes wanders this to he goes to wander the streets of barcelona so um outside he meets a stranger with a very odd face that's hidden from him um but danielle recognizes him as someone he's seen lingering outside his father's shop and the stranger demands to know where the shadow of the wind is and danielle realizes that this is the man who's behind the disappearance of the Carox books and that there's much more danger associated with the book than he's understood to this point so um that's a uh, no i'm farther than that but there's so much more that's happened in the book besides those things to this point that i'm talking about and i'm three hours into the book and not much has happened to advance the plot but it's just so there's so much characterization and atmosphere baked into the the writing that Mm -hmm. even though i'm not very far in it's uh, as far as the plot goes it still feels like I've had this really lush reading experience so um each character as they're introduced sort of has this um I don't know how you describe it like I guess a little vignette of how they they got to that point um it's kind of told by them and also just by the the narrator and it makes everyone that Danielle encounters very complex than um and much more complex than we'd see through the interactions of a young boy normally so mm-hmm. I think that this will culminate in some revelations later on but I don't know it might not happen <laughs> but I think that's the case um, so this is happening during um, the Franco Dan- dictatorship, which I don't know anything about mm-hmm. Spanish history, but I know that that was during this time. And it kind of, I, it just colors everything that's in the book. And so I'm hoping because I'm listening to this that I won't miss anything that I need to connect um, as far as real life history and mm-hmm. uh, the plot of the book. But um, I don't know if this is maybe a too ambitious book to listen to, but I'm hoping it will be will be okay but the narration is really good and it just has this really dreamlike quality like it it just feels like everyone is sort of in a mist and they only encounter each other when they come upon each other and then they sort of fade back into this mist and I don't know if that's really how it's written or if it's just how it sounds from the narration Um, it also reminds me quite a bit of the master margarita in certain ways and that's the same feeling I have with that book so I'm not really sure where I'm 
getting that impression. Maybe it's just the cover looks like that, but it's a really pleasant um, um, immersion when when it just feels like you're you're sort of moving through the the misty streets of a of a European city. So I'm really enjoying that. And that is The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. Well, I'm fine. I'm glad you're finally reading that book, Anne. You can join the rest <laughs> of the reading world who read it. <laughs> 15 years ago. I know, right? Uh, So the book I'm reading this week is actually a book I read. I just finished about 10 minutes before we started recording. Uh, It's called Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I read her first book, which is Get a Life. Chloe Brown possibly talked about it. I think you did. I think it was one of your top books from last year. Was it? Maybe. That was a whole year ago, Anne. I can't remember I that far back. Especially now. It's <laughs> five what, years ago. What is time? I don't know. Yeah. So um, so I was really excited to read this one. I had heard from, uh, it's actually somebody else who was on the committee with me, said she actually liked this better than Get a Life, Chloe Brown. And so she, oh, was, wow. and she felt awkward saying that because she knew how much everybody liked Get a Life, Chloe Brown. So I was really excited to read it. And it was, it was so good. It was about, um, so Danny Brown, the main character, is... Uh, the sister of the main character from the first book. And she is a PhD student and she just has absolutely no interest in being in a relationship in any way, shape or form. So she likes to have kind of a friends with benefits situation. And she's just actually gotten out of a relationship or not a relationship, uh, gotten out of one of those where she has a friend who there are some hard feelings because the friend started developing romantic feelings for Danny and Danny doesn't do those sorts of feelings. There's a guy at work. He is a security guard and he and Danny flirt a lot every day and they clearly really like each other. But, um, you know, you know that they don't, for different reasons, they don't think that anything would ever happen with the other one. And then one day there is a fire drill and Danny gets stuck in the elevator and she can't get out. And so Zafir is the security guard's name and he come, comes and rescues her uh, when she gets stuck in the elevator and actually carries her out of the building. And oh my somebody, gosh. somebody gets it on uh, their cell phone camera, of course, and it goes viral. They post the video and it goes viral that this this hot security guard is rescuing this gorgeous woman. And um, and so because of the attention that the video is getting going viral, um, Zafir asks Danny. So somebody makes the assumption that they're dating when they're when they post the video or as people start commenting on the video and they make the connection that he uh, is the founder of a nonprofit of, of a charity that works with young athletes and helps destigmatize mental health and helps these young athletes with coping strategies. Um, and so he realizes that they can kind of milk this situation so that he can get more attention for the charity, but they have to pretend that they're dating because everybody's assuming that they were boyfriend and girlfriend when they saw the video. So Danny agrees. She's she's kind of like, sure, whatever. I I'll I'll go for it. I don't have any reason not to. And she thinks he's he's cute and he's fun. They have this funny banter back and forth, and and so she thinks it'll be fun. She also thinks maybe they'll get to fool around a little bit, which is fine with her because he's very attractive. And then there's no no worry about having developing any feelings for each other because there's a they decide to do it for a month. He thinks after about a month the the publicity will have died down, and so there's no need to pretend beyond a month. Well. You kind of know what, where this is going. They catch <laughs> feelings for each other. But, and the feelings are actually there from the beginning. They really like each other as people from the beginning. But as they pretend to be dating um, and have this sort of no-strings-attached kind of relationship, they they end up falling for each other. And it's so cute because um, he, Zafir, is a hopeless romantic. And he reads all these romance novels that with happy <laughs> endings uh, that make him feel better about life. And she is more of the kind of independent, doesn't want to be tied down person, which is a bit of a reversal from what you often see in books and um, movies and things. And so it's just really fun. But what I liked about it was that there there are reasons that they each are the way they are and they have some trauma and things in their past that have influenced their approaches to relationships and 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 so it's it's all it all makes sense sometimes so you know I love romance novels but sometimes it is 
it is contrived. The the reason that the couple can't be together is contrived or you read it and think if they just had a conversation, right, that it would all be solved and they could be together 200 pages earlier. But that's not the case in this book. It's believable of why uh, they have these barriers or why they're choosing why Danny doesn't want to be in a relationship becomes clear throughout the story. And, and Zafir had some things happen to him in his past of why he's kind of reserved and doesn't want to um, – why he doesn't want to necessarily put his heart on the line. So it's just really cute. It's right now I'm just so tending towards books that are feel good, I would say. Not necessarily have to have a happy ending, but just they they make me smile or they make me happy. So uh, this definitely fell into that. It is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. Everyone needs some of that right now. It's a good pick. Thanks. All right. Well, this is a fun episode. Very Halloween day for us. Uh, what, it, it were every day pardon i said would it were every day yeah <laughs> all right let's go back and list off the books we talked about today okay i talked about mexican gothic by sylvia moreno garcia come closer by sarah gran um oops skipped one the girl from the well by rin chapeco and what i'm reading this week is the shadow of the wind by carlos ruiz ruiz zafon and I talked about Unspeakable Things by Jess Laurie, The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager, The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James, and Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. So if you'd like to get in touch with us and tell us what you are reading for your Halloween spooky reads, um, or just give us feedback or a suggestion on a different topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at Well Read Podcast. Uh, please rate and review us on your podcast provider of choice. It helps other people find the show, which we really appreciate. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and happy Halloween. Ooh, and go vote. Go vote. <laughs>